You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. What's up, team? Hope you're doing okay on this fine afternoon or day or evening or whatever time you're listening to it. We're here to discuss why independent music is important, and then I bring on a guest to talk about their origin stories and their you know comings and goings within whatever it is that they're creating. And that's what we do in this podcast, obviously. If you've been here before, welcome. If you have never been here and you were just downloading this thing for the first time, even better. Great. Welcome along the journey. You've got like eight years worth of shows that you get to download and listen to. But today's guest is Dylan Slocum from the band Spanish Love Songs. I fell so hard in love with this band last year. I had been aware of them. They'd been always kind of kicking around and releasing music on Friends record labels. A shout out to Wiretap Records, great record label. But I, uh, I just this newest record is just it consumed me. I, I that's why I put it on my like best of 2020 list. I just felt so passionately about what the band put together on this record that was like, you know, it's, it's obviously it's punk. It's got some, you know, elements of a lot of different things going on, you know, like wonder years, whatever, but like, they just really are doing their own sort of like Menzingers esque version of like punk. And it just, Oh man, I love it so much. So I had to have Dylan on the show and, uh, that's, that's, that's what we do this week. You can always email the show 100 words podcast at gmail.com. And, uh, you please just, just leave a review somewhere. How about Apple podcasts? I'll, I'll point you that direction. If you've been listening to the show on a regular basis and have heard me ask this before, I, I really do read those reviews. And actually it was funny last night. I was my, my son, my nine-year-old son was uh, asking about reviews that my quote unquote fans, that's what he, he called them <laughs> leave on, uh, you know, whatever he didn't know that, that people leave reviews in Apple podcasts. But, uh, yeah. So, you know, I looked at some of those reviews and, uh, I appreciate those. And it's funny because he's like, daddy, this person really likes you. They gave you five stars. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's so sweet. <laughs> but anyways, removing my own ego, just, it really helps the show out and obviously adds legitimacy to this thing that we're doing. But, um, yeah, let's talk to Dylan. Okay. Just good stuff. Our mutual friend uh, Rob from Wiretap Records, he, he he keyed me into you guys, and I I enjoyed what you did. It was one of those things where I was like, "Oh, this is cool!" Like, you know, I, I see where you guys are coming from, and you know, the the hard work you're putting into it. Um, but frankly, I became obsessed with your newest record. Like, oh, that's awesome! Yeah, thank you for putting that out. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the intended response. Uh, I feel like that's been our trajectory as a band. As people look at us from afar, they're like, "That's that's cool." we get it. That's fine. And then like every album, we get a few more people who are like, Oh no, I we're slowly being deemed as like, cool. It's something weird that I've learned because I don't understand the music industry at all. But like one thing I learned is that like, I feel like most bands that find any success are only finding success because they're deemed worthy of it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like if it gets, if it gets a certain cosign, Whatever if it gets a cosign, if it's a manager or an agent or a label or, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. somebody goes, these guys are cool. Let's give them some success now so we can all make some money. 
Right. Like this, <laughs> this is deemed legitimate, whatever that may mean. Yeah. It's so, I mean, it's shitty, but it's, I get it. I mean, I yeah. hate it, but I get it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And, uh, and so, you know, because like knowing you, uh, you know, knowing the band and knowing the music and then, you know, getting really involved with this last record, it, you know, I, I started to view you and, you know, the band, not differently, but just in that way where it's like, okay, here's this band that exists in LA, but frankly, no one knows that you're from LA. Like, I mean, people do, but it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, there are certain bands you point to where it's just like, oh yeah, everybody knows Touche Amore is from LA or whatever. Nobody gives a shit about the fact that we're from LA, uh, (laughs) including LA, uh, which is why we moved. Like, we hated it. We had no following in LA. And that, and I, I find that interesting because, you know, you guys started to gain traction over in Europe and people started to, you know, really pay attention to what you were doing over there. So, you know, I guess there's no real like simple question on this, this entry point, but just like, was it weird for you to be like, oh, well, like, I, I guess we'll tour Europe more because they're paying attention to us. Like, was it weird to kind of feel like you were going in the back door in a way? No, um, that's like the hidden secret is that Europe's awesome and we all want to live there anyways. So to find success over there first was, uh, and it wasn't just first, we were finding success kind of in the Midwest and mm-hmm. on the East coast around the same time. But touring in Europe is so much better than touring in the States. You get paid better. The venues treat you better. Uh, it's just an all around more pleasant experience. And you get to be in Europe instead of, anywhere in the i mean i listen there's a lot of corners in the united states that i absolutely love but like mm. nothing will be just like oh we have to pull off at a bank in switzerland to try to get rid of some money and oh there's roman ruins like you know what i mean just like right right oh like there's that. history yeah there's history and we went to europe for the first time four years ago and i think that's the other thing is that like we started touring europe because our our friend and the uh, the guy who's pretty much got us every record deal we've ever had uh, our buddy Gregory, who tour manages us in Europe, he wanted to sell the record that he was putting out. So he's like, you have to come to Europe. So we pretty much have been touring Europe and the States equally since we started touring, which I think mm-hmm. is a big part of that. Yeah. It, and it is, it, it, usually bands get that opportunity, you know, a little bit later where they start to see, uh, you know, different opportunities in different territories. And, you know, it's like, oh, okay, we're more popular over here. So we're going to focus on this. But it's interesting for you to kind of have both balls in motion from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was cool. I I have no complaints. I mean, we still see a band like we toured with Hot Water Music in Europe last year. And we also got to tour with them on a few West Coast dates here in the States. And Hot Water is like one of the, like, you know, just one of the all time bands, you know, mm-hmm. and they like for being around as long as they are. The shows in the States were good. But then like <laughs> we got to Europe and the shows were insane. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't mind being a band like that. Uh, I will happily. I mean, if we ever got that lucky sell out like a 5000 person show in 20 years, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'll, t- to- I'll totally. take it. It was awesome. <laughs> no. And, that, and that's cool for you to have that experience on both sides because yeah there it it is something so you know enlightening when you see you know uh, europe generically speaking has obviously a much longer memory than here in america you know that's like mm-hmm. that's why you know a hardcore band like sick of it all can still exist because okay, yeah yeah and but it's so wild to be like oh wow like you know using a band like sick of it all 
they have a tough time drawing 250 people over here, but like they literally play, like you mentioned, you know, whatever, five to 10,000 people, like no questions asked, no problem. Yeah. It's, it's insane. And then we, on the flip side, we have friends who are, who draw really well in the States who are much bigger than we are. And then we mentioned some of the Europe shows we do and they're like, fuck, we can't, we can't do that in Europe. And so like, I feel like we've managed to grow kind of equally uh, on both sides. It's weird though. Cause we haven't toured, on our own in so long that I actually have no idea what our shows are going to look like anymore. I'm assuming right. they'll be bigger, uh, but we don't quite know. Like this was supposed to be the year where we found out, like you kind of measure your metrics, like how many people are you, like how many cap rooms are you selling out in which markets? Mm-hmm. And we didn't get to do that on our own this year. So, and we have the new album, which was supposed to be like the thing that like got us to right, the coming out party. number. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, the the headline tour was selling well. And like a lot of places were selling out. And so now we're just like, well, uh, I guess we'll see next year. And half the places we were going to play are probably closed. So, you know, right, hopefully, right. <laughs> hopefully there's a place for us to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it is. I, I just th- I think it's an incredibly unique experience for um, a band to have that ex- that that perspective because yeah you don't you usually like i said you don't get it until you've kind of you know gone through the ringer you know in the states or your own territory or whatever yeah i think that the thing that we did do though and you know again we have gregory to thank for this but like our first two tours in europe sucked like we were through the ringer there and through the ringer here so we were just grinding on like in any country we could right but you know like it's a lot harder. It's it's weird. It's harder and easier at the same time. Like here you play a show to three people in fucking Tulsa and it's fine. You're on tour. You're grinding. Um, it's a bit harder to justify playing to like two people in the middle of Switzerland because right. you're like, what the fuck did we fly all the way out here for? But then at the same time, you're like, but I'm in the Alps. So like, can I really be mad? This is so we treated the first few European tours as like vacation. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, there's a lot more logistics involved getting yeah, here. It's a nightmare, but it's great. And I, I mean, to be fair, we kind of treat every tour like it's vacations. We're all older, you know, our youngest members about to turn 30. Right. So we're, so we're all in our early, I guess some of us are in our mid thirties now. That's weird. Um, but so like every tour that we've ever been on is like a vacation for us up until this year when we all quit or lost our jobs. Um, because we were touring so much. Sure. And then it's <laughs> Kyle uh, was the last one of us to lose his job. And he like was working his other dream job as a recording engineer at like a huge commercial studio in LA. And the day before we were supposed to leave for the Menzinger store, his boss was like, I didn't approve that time off. And he's like, cool, here's my keys. <laughs> so, and then he was like, so proud of himself. And then like two months later, everything is shut down. And he's like, fuck. Yeah, you're like, well, hindsight is 2020. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he would have been screwed there too. It's not like a lot of people were working in the studio at the start yeah. at all. So, yeah. yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and so putting the focus on you, uh, I yeah. know you grew up in in California. Um, yeah. like where where in particular was it like Central California? Where did you come up? No, I'm from I'm from the Inland Empire, the IE. Of course, 909. The, nine, the 909, formerly 909, now the 951. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's great. Uh, Jake, who runs Pure Noise Records, uh, is also like we grew up like 25 minutes from each other. So we joke about this a lot. It is the land uh, that how do I describe it? The land where motocross was invented and the land where Breaking Bad was originally set before they moved it to New Mexico for tax reasons. 
right. so that kind of tells you all you need to know about where i'm from yeah uh was, was it, a lot what city in particular like were you i'm Riverside? from menifee oh yeah yeah, yeah okay oh, yeah. you know yeah you're from, know. You, you get it uh, a lot of people when i say that i'll say like temecula uh people will get that <laughs> yeah you're like dude huge difference between temecula and uh Ukaipa and like, yeah <laughs> and everybody's like where's that is that riverside where's that is that the desert yeah it's the desert it's jesus land um it's weird it's like the red sea the red pocket of liberal california um yeah. it's rough but it's you know yeah but it's home <laughs> it's it's weird i didn't realize it until i got into like my early to mid 20s how because i thought i was like a i grew up in like a pretty progressive household and i thought i had a lot of big ideas and was smart and had seen you know a decent amount of things and i was like man i lived a very sheltered life just by like geographical uh like i might i may as well have been born in the middle of iowa you know what i mean Sure. It was, yeah. it was Your weird. exposure. Right. Yeah. Right. It was weird. I have friends who are like, yeah, but when I was 17, I was touring and we were in Boston and then in Philly and we played, you know, New York and then we'd drive out to here and to there. And I'm like, yeah, we played Temecula and then we would go to Orange County. That was our. <laughs> yeah. We'd be stoked if we got a show at Chain Reaction. If we got a show. At, I Yeah. I played a show at Chain when I was 19 and uh, that was the coolest thing ever, you know, and that was like, but that was it. It's like, <laughs> what else were we doing? Totally. So, yeah. yeah, it was it was weird. It was a backwards place. Sure, and uh, I know from just you know reading other interviews and and you know, your lyrical content as well. I mean, you definitely were raised in a you know working class like yep, very, very much on you know salt of the earth. People. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My dad uh, was in a construction union my most of my entire life, um, and my mom had to go back to work when I was four. Um, okay. So my grandpa raised raised us partially, and then uh, yeah, I by the time I was like nine, we'd get out of school and I'd go home with my little brother, and we didn't we didn't have babysitters or anything. So it was like it was like a nine year old and a seven year old at home alone while both my parents were working, and my older brother was at school still. So like sure. I thought I thought that was normal. I mean that was the nineties, you know what I mean? It was like oh for sure. Yeah, it was just like, like don't talk to strangers, don't get abducted. You're fine. Go home. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, you don't make a peanut butter and jelly. You're fine. Yeah, you're good. Don't eat a hot dog. Cause you might choke. Like, right. yeah. And literally that was a warning from my mom. Like I, you guys can eat, just don't eat hot dogs. Right. <laughs> Cause you guys do not know the high liquid maneuver. Yet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> eat something that's soft and you can handle. I mean, it was only, we'd only be home for like an hour and a half as she would like race home from work. But yeah, that's definitely, that was the world I grew up in. And I thought that was normal. Um, right. I mean, it right. is normal. That's most of America. <laughs> Yeah. And especially too, in areas, uh, you know, like what you grew up in, where it's, you know, very, it is, you know, rural-ish, small community-ish, mm-hmm. but, you know, like you're in spitting distance to, you know, large cities and stuff like that. But, you know, yeah. it's it's the con- the conceit of like, oh yeah, like, you know, people, neighbors know each other and like people kind oh, of yeah. watch out for one another. It's the exurbs. It's, uh, I guess it's further out than the exurbs. It's, it's the farm, it's the suburban farms, I guess, is like, Cause yeah, I was an hour from San Diego, an hour and a half from LA, uh, 25 minutes from Riverside, which I guess yeah. wasn't as big back then. Sure. Um, and of course all of our parents, not all of our parents, but a lot of our parents worked in those places. Um, but they mm-hmm. moved out where it was cheap because you know, that's where they could afford to live. Yep. Um, so yeah, was, I mean, yeah, it was definitely a, a weird place and you know, everybody you knew grew up to, I say this with both of my, this is my parents' professions, but like, you worked at a bank or you went into construction or you became a cop. Like those were, those were the that's what people did. And sure enough, most of the people that I don't talk to from high school anymore, uh, went into banking or not banking, worked at a bank, 
worked construction or became cops. Um, and I, I mean, that's just what it is. And yeah, you, know, you don't think about it. You got to survive. Right. Those, that's the life path. Yeah, right. that's it. And so it sounds like you were the, the middle child, as it were. Yes. yes. Got it. So were you the, uh, <laughs> the proverbial, cause you know, typifying a middle child experience, like, you know, you're kind of, uh, the mediator, you're, you're the glue that's trying to hold things together. Uh, was, was that indicative of your experience or no? No, I was a little asshole. Um, not a lot's changed. I was like this weird, <laughs> I have, there's a lot of circumstances that played into it, but I was kind of like a, not a miracle baby, but I came up, uh, I mean, I talk about it in a song. So like my parents lost a child before mm-hmm. I was born and then I came along. So I was like the, the makeup yeah. baby, so to right. speak. Whoa, this is, yeah. this is happening. Yeah. yeah. And then I, uh, and then I grew up and was like very self-sufficient and didn't like need help on homework or shit like that. And I had my privacy. So I was just like this little weird neurotic, uh, piece of shit. <laughs> like not piece of shit, like doing bad things, but being like a little, uh, just like annoying, you know? Yeah. You're, you're precocious. I was precocious in like the worst way. Um, so yeah, I wasn't necessarily the glue. I had good relationships with both of my brothers, which was good. Although the older one was like five years older than me. So kind of a bigger distance. Um, but no, I I definitely instigated more problems I think than I solved because I I like, yeah, like my dad would tell me to do something and I'd be like, why? That's, that's stupid. Like, (laughs) Yeah. Why am I doing or, that for you? Yeah. Well, my back hurts. Why am I pulling weeds for you? Like, you know, this is, this isn't my life. This isn't my lot in life. I didn't ask to be born into, into servitude for you. Sure. Yeah. You're like it. Logically speaking, I, I, I understand the relationship between a parent and child, but, uh, this feels like you're, you're overextending your, uh, your boundaries. Yeah. I learned at a very young age that I don't like to do things that I don't want to do. Um, and I actively try to avoid it. So, sure. <laughs> which so is a problem mani- when you're eight. Right. Yeah, that manifested itself in you pushing back on your parents constantly. Yeah, exactly. Um, which I'm sure they both enjoyed and absolutely hated. But you know, we got yeah, through, we got through it. I have yeah. good, I have good relationships with my parents, so that's good. That's good. Um, and so you know, as, as you were, uh, you know, being this this uh, precocious uh, child growing up. Um, what sort of identity did you find yourself kind of like, you know, sinking into once you started to understand yourself a little bit better in like, you know, junior high and high school and stuff like that? That's a good, that's interesting. I struggle with this constantly that I didn't have one. Um, I've always kind of struggled with figuring out my place and like what I want to do um, to this day. So I, I did play a lot of sports uh, and I played baseball up and th- I played uh, up through college. Uh, it, I, I again, we've, we've, we've been in the same circles. We've never met, but I'm like six foot six, like a large dude. Um, so right. sports was like a natural thing for me. Not natural. I was awful at it. I was awkward and uh, uncomfortable most of, most of the time, but it was like, I could your, throw, height, I, your height was like, okay, you're either playing basketball or you're playing baseball. Yeah. I, I could throw a baseball 95 miles an hour. So like you went and did that, you know what right. I mean? Like that was a thing. Um, sure. not anymore obviously uh but so i was i was like a weird the way i describe it is uh i don't know if you watch 30 rock but there was an episode where they go to liz's high school reunion and she's like high school was awful people treated me terribly and you find out she was the bully uh i was like a weird pseudo jock who wasn't a jock because he liked books and liked punk rock who just talked shit on everybody and thought he was better than them (laughs) 
and who I thought everybody hated, but I think I was probably the mean one. My band merch game is strong, and the only reason that it's strong is because of rockabilia.com. Maybe that's a little hyperbole because I've cared about band merch for longer than they've been in business, but that does not mean that they can't outfit your closet with all of the raddest band merch around. So first of all, use this code PC100WORDS. That code PC100WORDS will give you 15% off of your order. Essentially, that's like me giving you a free t-shirt. So go ahead and go to their website, find all of the stuff you could possibly imagine from bands, both big and small, and you can find like hoodies, jackets, scarves, anything you need for the cold winter temperatures that we are currently facing. I mean, I'm in Southern California, so it's not that cold here, but you get the point. Amazing customer service, fast shipping, independently run business from the Midwest. I love this company. I love what they do. And just the the people behind it are the real deal. They love music and they want to make sure that bands get paid by selling officially licensed merch. This is a really important fact. So again, use the code PC100WORDS. That gets you 15% off your order. Go to rockabilia.com and get that free t-shirt with that 15% off. Only if you're buying enough, but you get the point. PC100WORDS. It's it's funny, like you, you kind of articulating that, like it's interesting because when you have, when you're living these kind of like different worlds, uh, you know, because usually, especially, you know, in high school or whatever, people are really sticking to their lanes. Like, you know, you're either the yeah. sports person or the job, whatever, you know, you, you, these identities you fall into. But like when you yourself are straddling line between all of these and you feel like every group you're in, you are theoretically better than other people in your group. <laughs> like it, I understand the kind of like, yeah, you know, the, the bravado that you can kind of <laughs> come into it. With. But it was like so unearned. It was definitely like a young right. white, like a young white man's bravado. Um, sure, sure. And I, yeah, it's indicative that I went through like a bunch of different friend groups. Like I kept like a core group of friends, but like I hung out with Christian hardcore kids and I hung out with baseball players and I hung out with, skateboarders and then I hung out you know what I mean like I had like a really motley crew of people but uh and that was like our whole crew like our whole thing was that we hated where we were and just talked shit on everybody because they all fucking sucked sure. <laughs> um sure and you know like I stand by it partially like you have to stake out your place and uh in you know when you're young and you're often full of anger um so yeah, I didn't know what the hell I wanted, but I, I definitely was just in opposition to a lot of stuff, which I guess is explains why I got into punk rock, but also I hate punk rock. Like I hate punk rock that's like just to oppose things for sure, the sake of con- it. Contrarian by nature. Yeah, exactly. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of bands that we're not gonna get into, but like that I just don't like because of that thing that people are like, why don't you like this? You like punk rock? I'm like, because it's annoying um, yeah because because it's dumb right because yeah, it's dumb to me yeah like why aren't they talking about you know a novel and there? so i i'm just kidding i don't do that either but you know what i mean when i was that age it was i liked smarter bands i guess that's such a dumb way to describe it <laughs> yeah you know yeah. like you discover afi when you're fucking 11 years old in 1999 and you're like this is deep <laughs> Of course, well, of course, of course. Well, and especially too, then when you could, when you feel like you have unlocked that thing where you're like, oh, like what I was listening to previously is like, you know, kid stuff. 
Yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah. I, I mean, that's a weird dichotomy because I never grew out of the kid stuff either. No. Because um, no. <laughs> like I listened to a ton of Fall Out Boy in high school and a ton of, I mean, I, I'm from Southern California. I grew up on Blink. You know what I mean? Yeah. I grew up As on Blink and does. I grew up on The Offspring. Like Those were our bands. But then right around the time like middle school hit, middle school, early high school, I discovered like Thrice and Thursday. You know what I mean? And like those bands felt more important. Um, so yeah, there's been, it's just been a constant struggle, even musically of like, what do I like? What do I want to do? Cause I, you know, <laughs> I try not to live in opposition to everything, even though I think that's my natural inclination is just to be like, I don't know. Everything, everything kind of sucks. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny too, because I think that that impulse that you're talking about is like, you know, you immediately push back on something and then eventually you'll get around to it. You'll be like, Oh, actually, no, that was pretty good. It just takes you longer to get there. Oh, that's the worst when I make fun of something and then I eventually come around and check it out. And I'm like, fuck, this is good. I, I what, what, what's, a, what's an example? Cause I love these. I'll give, I'll give you a good example. And it's recent too. And it was, t- it's not, unfa- I mean, it was totally unfounded and it's, it wasn't because I was making fun of it. It's cause I just never checked it out. Yeah. But when, Oh man, whatever his, I forget his name, left Tiger's Jaw and started doing Wicca Phase. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Adam. Yep. Who I don't know the Tiger's Jaw people at all. Um, but when he left, I'm huge Tiger's Jaw fan. Like Tiger's Jaw is a great band. And then he left. And I was like, oh, interesting. And then I heard one song and I was like, oh God, like I can't do emo trap. Like this is not for me. You know, yep. whatever, do your thing. But then the, the full length he put out, I listened to it and I, I fucking loved it. And I was like, oh man. <laughs> I did I not want to like this, but it was, uh, it's incredible. It's great songs. And it, you know, it's also yeah. not, it's not little peep, which is definitely just not for me. Um, but yeah. It was, yeah, it's interesting to come across things like that. We were like, this is going to suck. I remember I did that when I was a kid, my parents wanted to watch 16 candles and I had never seen it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't want to watch this stupid movie. <laughs> I like, I didn't watch it. And then like a week later I watched, it, I was like, damn it, this is really good. Yeah. I do that a lot. It's a, it's a problem of mine for sure. Well, I, I think that, uh, I think that people that have that inclination, like, you know, it will always be ingrained in there and it's tough to push it away. But then I think once you, you know, once you temper it a little bit, then the things that you do, you know, boomerang around on, you embrace even more and you're even a more vocal proponent of it, you know? Oh yeah. I'm like, I'm that way with all my favorite albums too. Like the first time I hear it, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if this is what I want. I don't know if this is good. Um, and then oftentimes I'll come back around to it and be like, shit, this is incredible. Um, right. Whether I'm talking myself into it or not, I'm not sure, but <laughs> either way. Yeah. It's still there. Yeah. 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 It's different now. It used to be like, you would go to the, you'd go to the record store and like, you'd buy, I'm trying to think of an album that was really disappointing. I remember I was big into gob. Remember gob, oh, the Canadian of cor- band. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And I had that one album that was incredible. And then it came out with, with foot and mouth disease set the album yeah. after it. And I yeah. like went, spent my own money on it and I got it home and listened to it. And it just like, didn't do it for me. Mm-hmm. but I like forced myself to listen to it for like two months just because I had spent money on it. Of course. You <laughs> invested. Not the, yeah. You invested. It's, it's different now with Spotify, I guess, and, uh, or stealing music or whatever. Um, yeah, you don't have to put in that investment or try. So I guess there's a plus and minus. You, you don't have to convince yourself that you like something that you just don't like. 
<laughs> you, yeah, you don't have to be like, you know what, like this this record is really good. And then, you know, as you grow older, you realize that everybody also hated it. And oh, like, yeah. Oh, oh, uh, okay. I, I guess this was okay for me to have that initial impulse. We just didn't talk about it. Yeah, of course, right. You didn't have yeah. the uh, the megaphone of the internet. Yeah, now I just try to shut up about it because there's still albums that come out that I just don't like. And I'm just like, it's music. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> nobody's going to be happy to hear what I think about this album. You know what I mean? Uh, right. More it's likely, people, yeah, people will be more likely to be mad at me. So I'm just going to, you know, all music's good. I, we do the podcast with the Patreon and <laughs> this whole week we like, we ran through with our co-hosts like his favorite albums and I, they asked me my opinions on like some popular albums that they had some takes on. And I was like, uh, you know, all music's good and all music sucks. Like whatever, let's move on. <laughs> you, totally. you, you birthed it into the world. That's a, that's a, that's an achievement. Um, it probably is also bad. I mean, just like all of our music is probably bad in the scheme of things. So. Right. On a, on a sliding scale, if you're talking about the world population, yeah. most people will dislike it. Yeah. Right. That's, and that's great. You know, I listen, we play, uh, emotional indie punk rock like or whatever you want to describe us as I, our music's not cool like i know that so it's fine right exactly <laughs> uh and it, it sounds like you a lot of the you know more independent minded stuff uh started to infiltrate your life pretty early like where were you discovering this stuff was it all kind of you know the advent of the internet and mp3.com or was it uh, you know shoved into your head via your older, older brother, brother older brother okay. started it um he forever ruined me. I mean, he'd been ruining me since I was a kid. So he gave me, we had, he gave me Dookie and he gave me Smash when I was like six. That was it. I was done. Um, that is, that is really early, dude. Yeah, it was great. But again, okay. it, it's why I can't escape like <laughs> three chords. You know what I mean? It's, sure. uh, and those are both classics. Uh, I prefer Smash, actually. That's my hot take on that stuff. Uh, I have a yearbook from when I was in first grade. And I don't know why, I, again, this is me just being a little shithead, but in it, it's like, what's cool? And I was like, the offspring. And it's like, what's not cool? And I was like, Green Day. <laughs> You're like, so, even though I love both records. I love both records. One wins. Yeah. One wins. <laughs> um, yeah, I was a piece of shit. Uh, and then when I was like in middle school is when he would have been in high school. So he was getting like AFI, um, strung out had a you know that was a big record around that time face to face um and then he gave me the ataris blue skies broken hearts next 12 exits oh yeah i was too young to get an album that emotional about like being in love with people oh for sure <laughs> it was you a, hardly even know what that means you don't know what it means but you know what you think it means and that shit fucks you up i have a discussion about this with friends all the time like how influential and maybe kind of dangerous that album was to like a 12 year old <laughs> yeah you like you're just figuring out how to articulate you know like your love for your parents appropriately yeah. and all of a sudden it's like oh my gosh i'm having feelings about you know people outside of my family oh this is well weird. not only that but then you're like 14 you're between 12 and 14 you're starting to get hormones that make you feel things about other people but yep. every song you're listening to is about how they're not gonna love you and you're already like a little anxious piece of shit to begin with so, right. so you know what i mean so you, yeah you're so you spend, disappointment yeah so you just spend a decade being like i'm unlovable uh you know that's that's pop punk it's great right uh it just, <laughs> I, I, I identify with you chris Rowe. yeah it's great you know what i mean uh right right it's yeah you know and then and then it kind of pivoted uh so that, like and then i kind of from there kind of ran off into my own oh and he gave me the homegrown album uh actor age that was huge um Great. 
And then from there, yeah, I kind of pivoted, you know, it kind of took off on its own thing and the internet took off and Napster and Livewire, LimeWire, LiveWire, whatever it was. Um, yeah. And then, you know, stealing music because you're 15, uh, which sucks. And then, you know, seeing friends bands and, you know, local bands, you know, Finch was from Temecula. So that was kind of a gateway into a whole other world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then college, but, you know, college bands. I- Right. But it's interesting because like, even though you're contrarian by nature, it sounds like you were pretty, you're painting with a pretty wide palette. Like you were, which is interesting because like that, usually you would look at, you know, I mean, a band like Finch in comparison to, you know, uh, whatever, a a more quote unquote credible band like (laughs) AFI or anti-flag where it's like, so you, but you didn't call BS on that. You liked it. Uh, yeah, I think, I think a big part of it was that as much as I <laughs> hated it is like a sense of community. You know what I mean? Uh, sure. and people who, I don't know, people where they were saying things that resonated with me. Yeah. I was all over the place. You know, it would be like one week you'd be at like, I don't, I don't fucking know some hardcore show at a church. And then the next week you'd be at like a hello goodbye dance party at, at chain reaction. Um, that's cool. Yeah, it was great. It was a lot of fun. I think the common thread that it was all just way too emotional. Um, which is great, you know, it's, it holds up. Yeah. Uh, and then also there's like a whole other half of my life, which is like my dad, like a lot of Bruce Springsteen, a lot of like Dwight Yoakam, a lot of, you know, stuff like that, um, yeah. that seeped its way in probably around the time I was like 16. It was when like the Springsteen mania took over. Um, and then, you know, that's how you get, that's how you get every band in our scene from the last 10 years. Right. It's like, we all sure. liked punk and then we all liked Springsteen. Uh, and we all like, I don't know, bright eyes. Uh, and then you right. get, you know, you have a weird amalgamation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You get our band. Uh, I mean, that's how I always describe it. I don't know. Every time. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's fun. It's great. I, yeah. I, I don't care. Uh, no. Yeah. Those were like pretty, I didn't realize it because we started this band so late. I didn't realize how much that had just like sink, like sunk into my DNA. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, every time somebody, every time somebody makes fun of me on the internet for how I sing, I'm just like, you know, I just learned to sing from listening to Bruce Springsteen and Connor Oberst, right? Like this, 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 this vibrato is nothing new. You guys like, this is a thing that people do. Roy Orbison, you know what I mean? Um, Right, right, right. I am not original in any capacity. No, and I'm not claiming to be, but like, you know, don't say I sound like a goat. Come on. Like, I, I know I do. Like, it's fine. Um, right. Some people just it, think it, a certain way. Sure, sure. Um, and it, like you mentioned, you know, you were uh, obviously really into sports and like the trajectory of you, you know, like going into college. Because like, did you get a, a scholarship or partial scholarship? Yeah, I got a scholarship to play baseball at Santa Clara University. Um, I spent my freshman year there playing baseball and hating my life. Um, Division one sports are the biggest con in America. You're working full-time hours on top of going to school and getting zero money for it. Um, right. It's a fucking joke. I mean, you're getting your scholarship, but like, come on. Uh, so, and then towards the end of that season, I was at practice doing a bunting drill and uh, my leg stuck in the grass and I went one way and my leg went the other way and I tore my meniscus uh, and pretty much ripped it out. And it's not like a serious injury. People come back from it. But I, being my size, my six-week injury ended up taking three months to recover mm-hmm. from, just from like the weight gain and, you know, getting back to it. 
And at that time I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I, I hate that this. You're out. Yeah. I like playing music more. Um, but of course, instead of playing music, I just went back to school and played in some shitty pop punk bands, but didn't actually try to do anything. And then, you know, cause I, a lot of my life has been guided by the need to do what I want and get paid to do it. Um, so that I don't have to struggle and I can have the things I want in my life. You know, that's everybody's, everybody's goal, but music was never an option because it didn't pay. Of course. Um, it still, it still doesn't pay, but I'm, you know, now I'm 30 and I don't care about anything. So it's fine. But I mean, it, it's not fine. I have the same, I'm living the same struggle now as I did when I was 20. Um, but just because I've switched careers three times, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. I can't pick a lane again, going back to like the fact that I don't fit in, in any particular thing. Um, so music was always just a hobby. And then finally when the, this band started getting some success, I was like, of course, like now it's happening when I'm fucking, now I got to make a decision, right? <laughs> when I'm almost 30, the band is finally getting track. I actually, when Schmaltz came out, I had just turned 30. So, and that was the first time we got any attention from anybody really. Um, and so I was like, Oh, cool. Now I have to leave the film career. I've been putting, you know, eight years into, uh, and go do this thing because it, it seems like an, an option. Um, but by that point I, you know, I had never done it. I'd never given it like the real shot, you know, and you see all your friends, not all, but a lot of your friends go off and do it. And, or like people, you know, go off and do it and find success. And you're like, wait, why wasn't I doing that when I was 19? Like, why did I stop? Right. Um, because it didn't pay. Ooh, like I have such a backwards way of living my life, but you know, it, it worked out. I, I suppose we'll see to be determined. Right. 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 Uh, and so what were you actually studying in school? So I went back, I was an English major. I was just going to teach. I was going to go, uh, be a professor. That was my goal. Got it. And, uh, I was in a Hemingway and Fitzgerald class and the professor spent an hour lecturing about the use of the color yellow in the great Gatsby. And I changed my major that day because I was like, this is fucking stupid. No, I don't. So I switched to creative writing um, and then, which I guess made sense and was doing that and then was going to go get my MFA in um, like creative nonfiction type thing and uh, try to write for magazines. And this is around the time that the journalism world was imploding. Um, and I saw the writing on the wall of like, oh, I'm going to have to go try to get Twitter followers and work at Gawker or something. And then like segue that into a career, which again, I've had, I have a few friends that have done and their lives seem amazing, but that was not going to be for me. So I pivoted out of that and uh, randomly took a screenwriting class. And then that ended up with me moving to LA and trying to write on TV shows and being in an end, going to film school and then being in like an endless dance of, um, you know, near misses of like taking meetings and being told not this one, but you would have been perfect, but we staffed last week. Um, you know, a lot of that bullshit and, uh, right. just kind of bounced the LA grind, the LA grind, which is, you know, it was, it was a thing and I did it and I worked on some movies. I was a, a assistant to a director and was starting to get into producing stuff for him. Uh, and then the band that led up to bright faces. So I was like, yeah, I don't really like producing and the writing thing is I'm losing time to do it. And, there's <laughs> the TV world is kind of imploding in its own way. Um, 
So I was like, fuck it. Like, just do the thing that you've always liked. You know what I mean? I've played guitar and written songs since I was 12. And right. I've never given it a fair shot. So I was like, just go do the fucking thing. Um, and then, of course, <laughs> the world shut down. So, you know. Right, right. It's, yeah, it's just, it's on pause. It's, it's on, on pause. Yeah, it's on, yeah, yeah. It's on pause. We're fine. <laughs> We're still here. Right. What, uh, comparing and contrasting, because, I mean, most of the uh, entertainment industry at large, you know, always kind of exists roughly on the same structure of, like, you know, who you know, the connections you make and stuff like that. Um, And living in both, like, you know, the Hollywood world and obviously the, you know, DIY, you know, punk world that we come from, how would you kind of compare and contrast the things? Like, are they so similar that you know most people would be surprised or are they so drastically different because it's you know you're you're talking about big boy money versus you know playing to 100 people and you know wherever um i think they're both similar in that they're kind of just like power structures uh i have never felt like i've gotten very far in both in terms of like networking or knowing people um sure so i'm maybe not the best person like people be like oh what band do you want to like do you have any friends that you want to go do this with them like I don't know if we have very many band friends that like, I don't know. People came up together. We didn't, you know what I mean? We're this like weird. We're from LA and nobody knows that we're from LA. You know what I mean? Like that's definitely our lot. Um, But it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely just like weird little power structures. And I like, it's just people helping other friends or making money off of artists um, in both, in both cases. Uh, The movie industry there's a lot more money at play. Um, sure. So you can fuck up more. Uh, but you know, the people in the music industry might be worse. I'm not sure. Yeah. It, it, it's, yeah compar- I it's think, that, I think that structures like this invite multiple types of people to them. And I think on the extremes, you have people who are probably awful people who want to take advantage of power. And then you have people who are naive enough to believe that they can create something and it'll do some good. Um, and then everything in between. Right. So yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It's, it's weird being in both. Uh, I prefer music. It's, uh, it's, man, it's just as fake. I don't know. I feel like I'm, it sounds like I'm really down on everything and I'm talking shit on everybody I've ever met, but I'm, this is pretty, I mean, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Well, no, that's just uh, that's that's your your, your go to disposition. And, I mean, that is true. Like, I just I made it sound like, oh, what was me? I gave up my life in L.A. to go on tour. And then there was a pandemic like I'm the only one that's affected and like millions of people aren't dead. Um, <laughs> right. It hasn't like I'm fine. Uh, but in the nature of my life and the story of my life, this is a funny. It's a funny moment for uh, I don't know. It's a funny moment for anybody who's like anybody who like opened a fucking restaurant this year, I was like, this is it. I'm putting my dream forward. We're opening a fucking restaurant. It's going to be so fucking good. <laughs> and then like it stops yeah. and you're nope. and you're shit out of luck. And like, you can only laugh. It's so dark and so tragic that like the only thing to do is laugh at it because if you think about it too long uh, and not being a tour musician, like I'm fine. I found a job. Like we're good. But if you think about it too long, there's a lot of people who like this year has just crushed them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A lot of like working class people. I mean, think about all the people who work at venues who can't, who don't have a job right now and like can't and like they love it. You know what I mean? They, right. they love working and doing sound or whatever and they can't. And it's like that fucking sucks. So like how else to get through? I'm just the type of person who 
I have to laugh to get through stuff or else I'm going to fucking. Of, of course. Die. It's either laughing or crying. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Totally. Um, and kind of, you know, on the point of like the, you know, like the business aspect, like you, you know, you seem like a person, um, you know, that obviously is kind of leading the business charge as it were for Spanish love songs. Oh, yeah. I mean, work, working with other people in regards to, you know, booking and management and stuff like that. Yeah. But did that come naturally to you or is that something that you were like, well, I guess I'll do this because like, I have to, like, where did you kind of sit on that? No, I'm a dictator. Um, not like a control like, freak. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, li- I like to know what we're doing and why we're doing it. Uh, cause I have opinions. Um, even if they're wrong, I managed us for a long time out of the fact that if I didn't, I don't think anybody else would have, uh, sure. Gabe, our old bass player did a pretty good job of it too. We, he and I booked all of the early tours. Um, and then we got a booking agent. Like we always joke again, cause we're older and like, I've seen how the world works a little bit. Like, Versus like a 19 year old. Um, we've always joked that we're, a, we're a, a DIFM band. Do it for me. Um, because like booking your own tours sucks. Like I don't want to be the guy who has to book tours and then yell at the fucking promoter afterwards for not paying us. Like we're supposed to keep, and I guess this comes from like working in LA where it's like, I could take a meeting with somebody and be like, you're a fucking piece of shit. I fucking hate you, but just be totally polite. And then afterwards it's like my manager's job to be like, no, you're a piece of shit. That deal's awful. You know what I mean? Like we have to put people in between us to keep up like the appearances that we want to work with people because you never know who you're going to have to work with again. So when you're doing a DIY and you have a promoter or like somebody who fucks up and you really hate, and then you have to be the one to like go set them straight. Um, it's uncomfortable and it like can damage relationships uh, that should otherwise, you know, work normally. And then on top of that, it's just a shit ton of work. Um, And same thing with like trying to manage everything we do. And at a certain point you have to outweigh like the opportunity cost of like, could I have gotten us a certain deal with a merch company to run this store that we were having trouble keeping up with? You know what I mean? Uh, or like, could I have gotten us X or could I have gotten us Y? And, and at a certain point, it's just about expanding your like team and your network to, to try to, I don't think anybody can really go it alone. And I think that anybody who acts like they've done it entirely by themselves is full of shit. You know, um, right. like, we're self-managed. We made it this far. It's like, no, you have like, there's something going on. Like you have somebody pulling for you. Um, because you can't live in isolation because you won't get anything done because people are like, who the fuck are you? You know what I mean? Like I said, when we were starting out, like at a certain point, somebody has to vouch for you and be like, this band is worthy of our attention or like our energy. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, however that happens. I think it's the same thing with just like, this is why we have people that we work with now. Um, also because like the more you do your thing, you want to make sure that like, you're not just up your own ass. Like, you know, yeah, you need people to tell you it's like, dude, this is stupid. This is don't a bad do idea. Don't do it. Cause I have a lot of really fucking dumb ideas, you know? Uh, because a lot of times you're just throwing shit at the wall being like, what, especially nowadays, it's like, what will fans like, like what stupid, and that's, that sounds so calculated and we're not a calculating band, but like, should I tweet this? Is this funny? Is this stupid? Like a lot of times you're just like, I'm bored and I want to say something, you know what I mean? And it's awful. But like creating engagement or I don't know, promoting a tour or promoting an album or even writing the fucking album and you, you have a song and you're like, this is amazing. And somebody comes in like, it's really not guys. Like, I think that voice is important. I think that uh, having outside voices, because again, you're not just, 
you can set out to create for yourself. You know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. at a certain point, there's an intersection of like other people. (laughs) And so it's good to have the opinions of other people occasionally, not not to like value them above all else, but like, it's good if somebody goes, I don't know, you know, even, I mean, for us, even talked about that. Yeah. 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 Even for us bringing new people into the band caused that, you know what I mean? Like we wrote Schmaltz and it was largely me and Kyle and Ruben and Meredith, like in different variations. Like I had the songs and Ruben, I would bang them out and Kyle and I would record them. Meredith came in at the end of their keys and like, that was the thing. And on this album, we, Trevor had joined the band and like, would be, I'd be arranging with Ruben and he'd show up and he'd be like, is that the best we can do? Is that, or I'd be like, what'd you think? I'd be like, what'd you think? He's like, it's fine. It's like, fuck you, dude. Yeah. (laughs) You mean it's fine. This is the best song I've ever written. You know what I mean? And then you have to keep, yeah, it's, I find that collaboration to be uh, powerful and refreshing because I'm the type of person who, if left to my own, will go crazy with the choices and the self doubt. You know, of course, you'll never actually get it out because you'll be revising it for the seven hundred fiftieth time. Yeah, and there's that whole idea again from Hollywood of like the note behind the note. So if somebody tells you something's bad, like something's not working in a song, like their idea might be terrible, but it might push you to find the next thing that actually is better. And sometimes mm-hmm. I need somebody to tell me that something's not great to say fuck you, it is, and like commit to it. Um, so I, I yeah. I, I guess the theme is this the theme of this is that I just like to be antagonized and to antagonize. <laughs> right. You like, you like pushing boundaries and then people pushing back on yeah, you. That's great. Or those ba- yeah. Right. Okay. Constant yeah. friction. Yeah. Listen, if, <laughs> if I, if my life is not in, in conflict, I, what would I do? Right. <laughs> you're, you're not being inspired. <laughs> what? Um, yeah. What? It, it's interesting too, because the, you know, with the the kind of the heart on the sleeve nature that the band exists in, you know, I mean, bands like, you know, you guys and the Menzingers and, you know, many of your peers, there, there is this, uh, you know, real intrinsic uh, connection that people, you know, obviously feel with the music and the lyrical content. But then at the same time, you know, people are looking at you for, uh, you know, I'm using this, you know, maybe hyperbolically, Mm -hmm. but like looking to you for answers, you know, where it's like, Oh, well, like, Dylan's singing about this. So like, you know, I feel a kinship to him. So like, I'm going to, you know, ask questions on Twitter or whatever, you know, being dramatic, but like, no, no, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Um, right. So how do you feel about that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I feel, I tell us people when, you know, it it was weird on tour the first few times when somebody come up and tell us like a really, really touching slash depressing story. Um, and I had a hard time understanding it or like grappling with it, but, uh, first off, it's just, it's an honor and it's incredibly humbling that somebody would feel that towards us. Um, and like our shitty songs, you know what I mean? Like the fact that they resonate and that you would take the time to like come up to me and tell me something and be vulnerable. Um, that's just like, that floors me. Um, and I always try to, to hold on to that. And then the next thing I say is like, I, am not professional and I have no answers. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure. here to be a sounding board and I'm here for you to feel like, you know, me, that's fine. Um, some of the shit gets very personal. Even the songs that are stories about other people, like I'm, I'm, it's still me. Like I'm still, and I chose that subject for a reason. Um, so yeah, it's a, 
I had something else I was going to say and I lost it. It's, it's an interesting thing and it's something that I, you know, we try to be aware of and uh, try to, you know, I still struggle with not with the uncomfortableness of the situation, but with having the right answer. Uh, mm-hmm. Even just like in a response to a kind email or something. Um, but I think the other thing with us is <laughs> I think with our songs in particular, uh, they're written to not have an answer. <laughs> Like, I'm not trying to answer any big questions. I'm just kind of being like, well, here's this what, is what it is. About. This sucks. I don't know what to do. Like, that's the <laughs> the entire point of the album is like, everything's hopeless, but I don't know what to do about it. Let's just be nice to each other. You know, um, right. that's like a very reductive ver- reading of the album. But, you know, and then Schmaltz was definitely just like, well, I'm a piece of shit. Um, I don't know what to do about it, but I am. So now, you know, Uh <laughs> Right. Let's talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's, let's get into how much I suck, you know? Um, and then giant was very much the same way. I was like, wow, I suck so much that the only woman who loved me left me. Uh, so I don't right. know. This is where we're starting from. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I guess on that same tip too, I mean, you, uh, from all that I know about you, I mean, you are a, you know, a, a friendly and an outgoing person. Oh, yeah. Uh, no. It, 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 you know, yeah, I'm sure sliding scale. <laughs> I, I, I do, I do consider myself to be a uh, nominally pleasant person, but uh, have been described as an acquired taste my entire life. And would that be defined because you are, you know, kind of sucking all the air out of the room in regards to like, oh, there's there's Dylan walking in here, he's going to be the center of attention, or is that something else? I think it depends on where you're at. I definitely am a bit of a loud piece of shit. Like I have opinions okay. and I think not so much anymore is again, and I sound, I'm saying these things like I'm so old, but like you change, <laughs> you change a lot over the, you know what I mean? You, yes. you do change. And the, I feel like the back half of my twenties and now has been a slow killing off of the parts of myself that are unhealthy um, or just bad for other people. That makes me sound like it's some like selfless act. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's just been about being like, wow, I suck. Um, but yeah, in, in my younger days, I was definitely like, again, I was just like a, a, yeah, I was just contrarian asshole who'd be like, well, no, you're wrong because this. And it's like, Gee, I don't fucking know anything. Like, right. Or do I really believe this? <laughs> I'm the type of person, and I still do this more for fun nowadays, where like, somebody will ask something and be like, what is that? I'll have no clue what it is, but I'll just like say something about what it is. Like Uh I'll act like I've read the Wikipedia and I have no fucking clue. Um, But now it's more a joke to try to get the person to go like, you're so full of shit, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah, I have no idea what a fucking, I don't know. I don't have a good example, but right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, that plus just the fact that I'm, uh, you know, depressive and anxious and moody and all of the fun things that um, make up an unstable, not unstable, but just I'm a person like I have, I'm a depressive person. Like I have moods, I have feelings and uh, going back to the fact that I don't like to do things. I don't want to do. I don't like to hide things that I don't want, like that I don't deem worthy of hiding. So if I'm in a bad mood, like I'm not going to like smile and be happy with yeah. you when I'm at a fucking party with people I don't know. Right. I'm going to sit in the corner and be like, when the fuck can we leave? I don't want to be here. Totally. Yeah. Like that's, that's me at every social gathering though. So 
Sure. Uh, yeah. So no, there, there's nothing too different no, from one to another. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know I'm, yeah or I'm just always depressed. I don't know. But, you know, these are the things. Yeah. It's <laughs> And so like when you started to, you know, I mean, maybe not even specifically with Spanish love songs, but like, you know, once you started to like get up and be on stage and, you know, quote unquote perform, um, you know, was that, I guess, comfortable for you or did you have to learn how to do that? Uh, weirdly, I've never had a problem with it again, because I think I secretly like being the center of attention, but on my own terms. Um, okay. And there's definitely something more powerful when I have the microphone than when you're like, if we're just having a conversation, because um, it's like, no, these are my songs and I'm singing. Uh, you can shut up. <laughs> you go to your art at another time. Yeah, you this got no choice. But to look. <laughs> right, right, you right, know, right. Um, look how special I am. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's great. It's fun. I, there's no better feeling. It's egotistically gratifying, um, you know. And that's not a bad thing. I think everybody should chase that in their job. Like find a job that makes you feel like you are the king of the world. Um, sure. Although there, I mean, there's other, again, this also goes back to mood though, because there are shows where I'm on stage and I'm fucking miserable. Um, like whether I don't feel well or, you know, I just wonder what I'm doing with my life or, you know, the audience is staring at us dead face because we're playing the wrong show for us. Um, sure. So, yeah, I mean, not every time on stage is good, but like we won't show that. Like that's, you know, we've reached the point where it's like you can have the worst day of your life. Like you could be having a shitty Tuesday and want to kill everybody in the band and want to go home and start a farm in the middle of nowhere. But like for the person that's there to see you, they've spent their money to spend their night out. Like that Tuesday is their, is their night out and they're probably with their friends or, or with their loved one. And they took the time out of their day to come see you. Even if they didn't come to see your band, if you can see their face, they're watching your fucking band. So like, yeah, they're there, they are there, they are present. And that's more than you deserve. Um, so we definitely have like learned to accept and lean in and appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely like, <laughs> it wasn't hard to be on stage. I got it. Yeah. I'm, I say all these things, but like, yeah, like, oh, I'm uncomfortable with people, but I'll fucking, uh, we're talking for an hour and I've talked most of this time. I'll talk nonstop and, uh, I'm You're like, I got this. I'm not afraid to like say how I feel, uh, sure. to the point where like afterwards, after this, I'm going to think back and be like, you're such a, pe- you're such a dumbass. Like, why'd you say that thing? Why did you hint at that? Why did you allude to <laughs> like every, right. everything I do where I say something in any remotely public way? I just question everything I said and I'm like, oh, I'm going to get in trouble or somebody's going to be mad. And like, yeah. Yeah. Right. It's it's the duality of life. Yeah. yeah it's, you know, yeah, it's, it's everybody's life. Your, your, uh, your, your body's, uh, you know, checking cat or, uh, issuing checks that your body can't cash and yeah. <laughs> or whatever that saying is. Yeah. I also, <laughs> I also think faster and like, I think and say things faster than I am analyzing them a lot of times. Uh, sure. so I'm definitely prone to like saying something and then five minutes later, like one part of my brain is still thinking about it and, and then I feel guilty and then I get distracted and then I'm issuing apologies for something. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Let's see how this feels. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, oh whoop, whoops. Okay, Oops. Maybe I shouldn't yeah. yeah. Uh, two last things I want to hit on where yeah. uh, you, you, you uh, and, and your significant other moved to uh, Nashville, right? You, is that where you guys are at now? That is correct. What precipitated the move besides, you know, Los Angeles, obviously being the uh, dumpster fire that you were, uh, you, were <laughs> you, you were describing, uh, you were describing, I'm just joking. Yeah, no, I mean, I, we still love LA. I have a soft spot in LA. Um, yeah. 
we left because we were going to be touring and we didn't feel like paying LA rent prices to not be home. Sure. Um, and so we did that and we went on tour and we gave up all of our, actually it's funny. We left LA last April, did the tour in Europe with Pew came home and then immediately went back to LA to like work on the album. Sure. But then we were just living in like Kyle's sister was out of town. So we were like living in her bedroom, <laughs> um, which was, you know, weird. Uh, I mean, it was so nice of her, um, but you know, just like not our home. And then we finished the album then went on tour, had the holidays at home. And then we were, we were supposed to be touring with that men's years tour picked up in mid January. And we had tours booked up until last week. Um, that just haven't happened. So right. after the tour, we didn't have a, a home. So we were spending time in Iowa, um, kind of crashing. And then that derecho storm hit Cedar Rapids. Uh, and we were like, well, we should just go get a place. Uh, so that it was literally that just a year and some change of not having our own space. We were like, let's get the fuck out of there. And then we were choosing a few between a few different cities. Um, Nashville's close. We like Nashville. We've always we've always had uh, sights set on living in the South at some point. Um, you know, nothing. Nashville's like near South. I feel like, but it's still the South. Sure, uh, South South adjacent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is the South. There's definitely Southern vibes here, but I, you know, I I spend time in other parts of the South that feel much more Southern. Um, it's not the, it's not the deep South, right? It's not the deep South, uh, which is great. This is perfect for us. And, and Nashville's a, you know, it's a big music city. It's cheap. Uh, it's probably a good move career wise. You know, I, we, yeah, there was a few other places we almost moved, but we definitely did like a calculated, like when touring resumes, where would be a good place to be? Because like as much as, you know, as much as I love living in the Pacific Northwest, it's, it'd be so shitty to be in a band. <laughs> I don't know how they do it. It's like, Cool. You right. got a day and a half drive to get anywhere. Totally. Yeah. You got to start so far yeah. in order to get to the place. And that yeah. was another problem with California is just like being a band that's more popular on the, in the Midwest and the East coast, we'd like go out, we'd play like a fine show. We'd get out, play some amazing shows and then have to drive back through less than amazing shows. And it was yeah. really defeating um, to be like high point of your tour is midway through your tour. <laughs> well, it be, and to, to your point, I mean that, that is not usually an area where most bands, you know, uh, excel. Yeah. <laughs> most bands are like, well, can't, can't wait to get through, uh, you know, Lincoln and Salt Lake city. And then, then we get to California yeah, which, or then we get to Chicago, which or whatever. sucks too. Cause like there, you know, places like that, I wish there was a way to make the shows better. Um, mm-hmm. just because like, you know, places like Tulsa or Kansas city or Omaha, th- these are like great, great cities. And I love being there. I love meeting people there and playing in them. But at the same time, like the, the like ego crazed musician, musician in you is like, fuck, like we lost money tonight and we played to five people. You know, this is, this is 2018. I don't know how it'd be now, obviously, but right. Um, that was definitely a move to of like, every tour we do out of California has to be a nationwide tour or like has to be a minimum three weeks. Um, if we live in the Midwest or the East coast, we can do week long runs. Because uh, mm-hmm. we, yeah. we did it's a run with easier access. Yeah. And we did a run with iron chic where they're like, yeah, we're doing seven days. I was like, fuck you guys. That's amazing. Like we couldn't do that out of California. 
And so right. that was definitely, definitely on the, you know, that was on our minds as well. Um, even though two of us still live in and around, uh, I guess Southern California, Ruben's in Roland Heights and Kyle's out Fontana. He had to leave LA too, like price wise. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, and kind of the, the last thing was just the, um, you know, you're, because you are, are at a quote unquote advanced age in regards to, you know, the, uh, the, the punk and hardcore and DIY scene. Or dinosaurs in, in, in punk and touring years. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm 40 years old and the fact that like, I still care about it is one of those things where it's just like, people yeah. look at me like, what are you talking about? Why do you still care? It's just like, well, cause it, cause I do. It feels like, like something, obviously. it feels like something that's slowly, I guess it's probably always been like this, but like at least the bands that we grew up on are still playing a lot of them and the bands that yeah. are our peers are still going to be playing. Um, it feels yep. like, you know what I mean? It doesn't feel like anybody's going away. I think a lot no, of us, for sure. I think a lot of people like maybe just a few years and a few steps ahead of us have carved out pretty nice careers for themselves. Um, it's, it's all really working class things. And that's fine. Like we don't mind being a blue collar band. We know we need to tour 200 days a year and right. you know, to make a blue collar living and, and it's, to me, it's a day job and it's great um, when we can do it. Uh, so we're right. like, we're yeah. fully ready for that. I love touring. Um, but sorry, I cut off your question. Yes. I'm no, no, no. I, I, yes. Yeah. Right. Yes. You're old. <laughs> uh, but the, uh, why, um, why do you still care? And I know that's like a real, um, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, maybe inflammatory question, but just like, you know, what, what makes you still feel, uh, connected to the fact of, um, you know, besides the point of creating art and putting it out there, um, you know, why do you still care about kind of the, the DIY nature? And like you said, kind of the blue collar nature of, you know, putting things together for the band. I mean, for me, I feel like I'm a little bit different because this is something I wanted to do when I was younger. Um, and I watched a lot of people that I knew keep doing it and finding success. And they're much better off now than where I'm at. I came in late. Um, the great, <laughs> the greatest review I saw for Schmaltz, I bring it up constantly, was that somebody reviewed it and said, "This is what this is an album about what your life is like if you're not the Wonder Years or you're not the Menzingers, sure, but you're their age," um, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, but so for me, it's like this is stuff I've just been meaning to do, um, and I, I, we're not actually that old. I feel like I feel like we're maybe old if we were trying to play like the like the really like young attractive pop punk game. Um, which were neither young nor attractive. So we're good. We're good there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're definitely playing that more kind of like, you know, indie world. Um, and the bands that I look up to, you know, a lot of them were kind of our age when they were cementing what they do. Actually, you know, you look at some, something like the hold steady or like the mountain goats, um, bands like that, that, you know, are, are more so approaching their fifties or in their fifties and are having, you know, maybe the best runs of their career and mm-hmm. are consistently, I saw the mountain goats right the day before we started recording the album. Um, I had a friend on tour with them and they got us tickets and I was like, God, like mountain goats have been around since I was fucking five years old, you know, and we're just obscure and then became more known and then became like a, like an indie darling type thing. But like dudes like 50 early fifties playing to a thousand people in LA. And I'm just like, I, that's, that's the dream. Um, and you do it because I mean, I'd be writing songs or writing stories anyways. And, you know, if there's anybody out there who's willing to take the time to engage and be like, this means something to me, then it's like, well then why, why wouldn't we try 
Um, and again, like it's an extremely fulfilling job uh, for your ego, <laughs> not not necessarily financially. Um, and you know, if I could find a job that like pays a blue collar wage and it also makes me feel satisfied with my life, uh, that's that's great. That's that's the dream. That's the closest to escaping the kind of capitalistic grind that you can hope, I guess. Um, yeah. yeah. Which <laughs> I'm acutely aware of the fact that I'm like, yeah, I want to be happy by just finding a job I love and, and getting paid to do it. Like it's such a naive thing to chase, but you know, at least it's all, uh, the, the other point about why we do it though, is that like um, I don't have a ton else that I've learned that I ha- I don't have a ton else that I'm like decent at. Uh, this is it. This is kind of my skill set. Sure. Um, which is weird. You know, again, when you're young and kind of arrogant, you're like, I can fucking do anything. Like, I could go write movies. I could do this. I could do that. Um, and I've had so many careers where I've gotten close, you know, and I'm an idiot for choosing careers that are like long shots to begin with. You know what I mean? Like, I got close with baseball. I got close with writing for TV. Um, I've been close with music. But uh, to me, this is the first time that like somebody's actually taken what I've done and be like, oh, no, you're not full of shit. This is good. Um, you know, not a ton of right. people, but enough people to make me feel like. Yeah, well, I'm not I'm not completely wasting my exactly, time. Exactly. Right. right. Like I, I, we're not we're not fully delusional. You know, you at a certain point when you're when you're an artist, you're like you have to live your delusion to like make make it happen. You know, it's like fake it till you mm-hmm. make it like. But at a certain point, you live you live your delusion for so long that you start to wonder, like, <laughs> am I full of shit, or uh, like, am I just am I so far up my own ass that I think I'm still good when I'm terrible? Um, right. And there's nothing more, like, to me personally, there's nothing sadder than seeing that person slowly realize it because it's heartbreaking. Not because I'm mad that they suck. Like, I don't care if you're good or bad at what you do, but like to realize that you are not good enough to fulfill your dream is like, <laughs> makes me want to die. Um, yeah. Like it's even saying that out loud, like my insides just collapsed a little bit. Um, yeah. And so like, to, I, this is the first time where I feel like we're maybe a little bit past that. And of course it could all change on like a fucking dime. Like we could put out an album. People would be like, you're not cool anymore. Uh, go away. And like, that's the joke is like, I joke that we're older, so we're not allowed to put out like a bad album because we won't have to, we won't have time to recover from it. Sure. Um, so people are like, how do you guys like, do you feel any pressure or anything? It's like, no, man, we're uh, the best way to describe what we're doing is like, we are just like a bunch of nihilists kind of shrugging because like, this is it. Like, we <laughs> Yeah, what up? we what? didn't expect this like nothing good was happening anyways and now like if we fuck up it's gone and we can just stop doing this like that's fine we can go back right. to like we can go back to our regularly scheduled lives and uh you know maybe have a retirement you know mm-hmm. right exactly but like, if have, not have, like, have some security yeah we can have a 401k you know that's been the weirdest thing about the pandemic is that most of us have gone back to like nine to five jobs um <laughs> like meredith has a 401k at her new job and like I'm like, oh, uh, for like a month, the nine to five was very steady and comforting. And I was like, oh, I get up at seven every day now and I exercise and I do this and I'm, I'm already losing my mind. I'm just like, this is the pandemic has caused my worst fear, which is working a regular job. Um, Right. You know, that's, that makes me sound so like privileged and lucky. 
but I mean, we are privileged and lucky, but, um, you know, it's definitely, we grind at it. Uh, so it's, I don't know. It's just, it's different. I've been saying, I've been hearing the phrase, what is it? Courses for horses, horses for courses. I don't fucking know. It's like different strokes. Like some people like the security and like, like their job. I have tons of friends. I have a friend who like works at a fucking bank and loves his job and has a good retirement and will be able to do cool things when he's 60. Uh, I don't think I'm going to make it to 60. So I'm trying to do all the cool things now and then right. I'll fucking worry about it then. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Hey man, live fast, die young, bro. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> God, I hate, I hate that this entire hour and change of conversations led to what, I mean, what I said was that, um, I understand. Uh, I know that's not what you actually meant, but yes, that's the, uh, oh, that's that, the context though. Uh, yeah, no, I understand. But you know, I, I, I know you're not one of those people, so you're okay. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Damn it. It's okay, Dylan. It's okay. We, we accomplished something here, whether you know it or not. If you, if you make that the fucking, uh, social media poll quote for this interview, I, I won't be mad, but I will be so mad. Sure, I understand. <laughs> I, I, I won't do that. This this is the this is the gem at the last uh, oh, you know five percent of the interview. Perfect. So we're good. <laughs> this is for all this is for all the diehards who hung in past all the bullshit. Exactly, exactly. Well, Dylan, thanks so much for hanging out, dude. Of course. I really, really enjoyed this. Yeah, thanks, man. That was Dylan. Please look at everything they have going on over at Patreon. Uh, you just Google Patreon Spanish love songs, but they are doing some really, really fun, inventive and cool things on their Patreon. Just, I don't know, like chats and like live shows, just a lot of fun stuff. And if you have not checked out their record, Brave Faces, everyone, please do just, just dive into the record. And I promise you it will capture you in a very real way. So thank you, Dylan, for coming on the show. And next week I have, oh man, I'm so excited about this one. I had Pete Appleby from the bands Renee Hartfelt and Count Me Out. And uh, I both of those bands I hold in very high esteem, and I was glad to track Pete down. He's uh, actually, you know, a practicing dentist. <laughs> and it, he's not a person that, uh, you know, does a ton of interviews. And so I was glad to be able to make the connection uh, via a friend, shout out to Sean Rohr, who uh, hooked me up from 613 Own Records to uh, have this interview. So that's what we do next week. And like I always tell you, please be safe, everybody.